The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Head On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Head On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network, NBBN, the focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, painless podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere via Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. On this episode, three of our four hats wax poetic about the Crescent City. Robert warps in from parts unknown. Does that make it a tie warp? And we take a timely look at the beginnings and possible endings of everyone's favorite clock twist, Daylight Saving Time. I'm your beloved announcer, aww, Monsieur Brumage. Now let's get to the Valle et laissez le bon temps rouler. Voici André, Robert, le Dr. Marc et Chris. Hold on a second, Chris. Hold on a second, Chris. Hi there and welcome. This is Keep Your Hat On, and we accidentally started a show without you all, but uh, we're here. I'm Andrew Scott. That, of course, is Christopher Vaccano, and that, of course, is Dr. Mark Peterson. And happy Halloween. Boo, everybody. Um, We're here. uh, uh, Minus one hat, who might be joining us later, but we've started talking about a combination of coffee, threats to students, Halloween, and New Orleans, Louisiana. And, it's coming uh, up after this. And it, yeah, exactly. So By uh, the magic of television. So, are you, so, you going to do that cool rewindy trick? And... <laughs> All right. And so now we're up to real time, and Chris is about to hit us with uh, something that I, I really appreciate, and that is his uh, take on perfect moments when traveling. Chris? Oh, perfect moments right. when traveling. Oh, go on. Right. And I got this uh, a little background for, for just the folks that are listening. This is something I got from Spalding Gray, where... Rest perfect, him. Uh, oh, God rest his soul. Yes. This, yeah, if, uh, if there was a God, I'd be begging for him to take really good care of Spalding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because Spalding brought, brought some nice light to the world. Absolutely. Uh, he had this notion of the perfect moment. And mm. essentially what it is, is when you go and you travel... The perfect moment is that is that encapsulation of your trip that tells you, okay, you've done what you need to do. Now it's time to go home. And not only that, it takes you by surprise. <laughs> it does. It yeah. does. And there's no announcement. Really... There's no foreshadowing. Suddenly you're just like, oh shit, this is it. And you can't contrive mm. it. You know, you can't go in saying this is going to be my perfect moment. That's no. not what it is. It's got to happen to you, and you've got to be open to it. It's got to be like so, a. Re- it's like a revelation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It reveals itself to you. Uh, that's that's <sighs> perfect. So back to our story. So, so uh, I'm in New Orleans for Halloween, Meanwhile. Uh, for, for a national hemophilia convention, which uh, there will be blood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to do a show about hemophiliac jokes, but let's just put that right. pin on that for sure. later. Go on. Absolutely. Yeah, go on. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure Chris has got plenty in the chamber. Yeah, I've never heard any, so I, <laughs> honestly, I think there must honestly, exist. Okay. I only know one hemophilia joke, <laughs> oh, uh, but I'm sure there are plenty out there. Okay. Um, okay in any sorry. case. So, uh, so yeah, we were just talking about Halloween, and and Halloween on Bourbon Street is just a rager. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, oh yeah, it's like it's like you know, Mardi Gras is good. Halloween, it's it's not all buried with tourists. It's all the locals letting yeah. their hair down and cutting loose. And I mean, it is just crazy. And so we were out all night drinking and dancing and having a good time. And my perfect moment came actually the next morning, November first. We stumbled. I mean, we got up around 11 o'clock, skipped all our meetings, stumbled (laughs) down to Bourbon Street, 
you know, I don't want to hear hemophiliacs stumbling down to Bourbon Street. That just made me nervous. <laughs> yeah, well, There's an ambulance I, I mean, following you, right? Just behind, we, you know. We looked like, like the denizens of the dead. I mean, it was it was just fit in there. we were all hungover and miserable, and the the sun was bright, and and it was just <laughs> it was it was wildly unpleasant. So we go. Over to Cafe de Mind, we, we get our beignets and our coffee. We're still not feeling it. And so we all look at each other and it's like, okay, time for the hair of the dog. And so we head back up to Bourbon Street from Cafe de Mind and we find this bar that's open. And it's a blues club, of course. I mean, a blues club on Bourbon Street. I, you know, imagine that. And we're sitting in there at this bar with the light streaming through the window and all the dust in the air mm. and we're drinking our morning t- cocktails to to get our heads back straight do you remember what and, you were drinking yeah you gotta uh, remember what you were drinking yeah let's see i think i was drinking just like a scotch and soda um, <laughs> oh dear hardcore yeah yeah respect yeah. not not a hair of the dog <laughs> yeah. hair of the hellhound yeah exactly i mean it was it was that was during my hard drinking days and i'm sitting there at this bar And it's just me and my friends, you know, there's about five of us, five or six of us. And this three-piece blues band is, you know, they're just kind of jamming, you know, they're just kind of warming up for the day. And we're sitting there listening to them play. And it is like so deep and rich and authentic when they're cutting loose and not doing, Mm -hmm. you know, not doing their, their formal set and just watching all of it. It was just. Yeah. Perfect. Spot on. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I've got so many stories of New Orleans and of, you know, uh, (laughs) that, well, that and Mobile, uh, again, I spent plenty of time in, in, in your backyard, Mark, just because I always like to go where places, where, where the place is known, but overlooked. And once I learned that, honestly, that Mardi Gras, as we know, it started in, you know, across the river in Mobile. Oh my, yes. I was like, let's go there. And yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cute as hell Mardi Gras. It is. It, and yeah. it's interesting yeah. that you use the word cute. Family friendly, I'm going to yeah. say, too. Yeah, it, completely it, it so. It is such a different vibe. Yeah. But then you start looking into, you do a little bit of research on the actual history. That's where the darkness is. Mobile oh my, has yes. cleaned it up. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> um, there's a famous parade, actually, in Mobile, uh, the Joe Kane Day procession. And um, Joe Kane, you can uh, look him up online, but Joe Kane was the guy who started Mardi Gras back up in Mobile after Reconstruction. Yeah. Um, New Orleans loves this. They'll say, you'll hear the phrase, longest continuous Mardi Gras. Right. But the reason for that is because the, the military governor put in charge of New Orleans let them keep going doing Mardi Gras after the Civil War. The uh, guy in charge of Mobile shut down all masking anything like that yeah. for the duration of Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I don't remember the exact date, 1870s, right, 1877, yeah. uh, Joe Kane got out, hitched his wagon to his mule, his mule to his wagon, um, <laughs> dressed up as one of the local Native Indian chiefs from the Mobala tribe, and drove his uh, wagon down Government Street, and then, and then people poured out, and that's how Marty got started. So it was a special day, and they had to change this because it got too popular, but when I was still living there in the 70s, Everybody who wanted to got to march in this parade. And so a bunch of us from, from uh, the dorms put together a marching kazoo band. Oh. And so we would finish up, um, we would march in the parade as a marching kazoo band. We did uh, patterns and everything. Oh, wow. And then the whole parade terminated in the East Church Street Cemetery where Joe's buried and everybody walks by and splashes a drink on his grave. And then people set up their, you know, their pig roasts and their picnics and stuff on the gravestones. And it's very, it's like, that's like some real Anne Rice stuff. You never know what's going to happen <laughs> yeah. after that. Mm-hmm. And now for something completely different. When you're talking about travel stories, I can come back to a ton. And like, Andy's been all over the fucking place. And it's like, I it turns out now I've actually been around a bit. But uh, my former uh, wife and I had what I think was the most amazing Christmas Eve in the history of Christmas Eve. I remember you telling I me I must have told story. you this story. Yeah. No, um, go run with it. So... <laughs> We were on Patmos, and um, of course, and we had gone there. We'd gone to Greece because we'd been living in Riga, in the, in, and Riga is like cleaned up now. I mean, the Germans and the Swedes and shit got in there and straightened it out. But the Russians had just abandoned the place about, you know, 10 years earlier. This is back in the late 90s. And it was just filthy. I, I, it's hard to describe what that really, how dirty it was, right? 
But so we thought, we got to get the hell out of here. So we went to Greece for a month, right? And just sort of uh, hacked around. So we're on, we're on Patmos. We're the only tourists on the island, by Which the way. is a, a rare occurrence pretty much anywhere in Greece. Oh, and they kept asking. They said, so why are you here? This isn't the season. And it's like we said, because this is not the season. And then they'd say, oh, would you like to have dinner? <laughs> okay, so Christmas Eve, everything closes down on Christmas Eve, right? Still closes down. And so we were staying... <laughs> staying it's still there i've looked the hotel effie and effie was the woman who ran it and um th there was a maid who was working in the place too who was this russian girl who came and complained to us quietly she said you have to help me she has kept my passport and i cannot leave oh, greece geez. it's like <laughs> welcome to capitalism now anyway okay intrigue yeah so we said so we said where can we eat tonight she goes oh yeah very, very difficult she says uh you need to go up to the mountain town up at the end of the road so there's just like one highway goes up the mountains in, in uh, Patmos. Well, and so it's we, highway. Well, two lanes of yeah. know, goats. So we go up, we take the motor scooter, which I, they, I'd rented a motor scooter while we were there. So we go up to the, uh, go up past the monastery and out to the, to the north end of the island. There's a little dinky town up there and there's a taverna that's open. And so, but there's nobody around any place. The only lights on in this whole town is in this tavern. So we walk in there, there's nobody there. And we hear sounds in the kitchen. And so we walk back to the kitchen, and there's this family eating dinner, and they look at us like, oh. And of course, nobody speaks English, and we don't speak Greek, and there's no tr Google Translate yet, right? No so, babblefish. So we just do this. We just go, um, we go, you know, open. And I love the grandpa who's there, hands the baby to grandma, and he walks over to the stove. It's, just, it's a beautiful kitchen, right, with a big table in the middle and, a, and like a wood-burning stove over here and the gas stove over here. And um, he picks up this pot of the okra stew, which is the traditional uh, Christmas Eve food for them. And he sort of shows us, and there's like enough left for two. And Peg goes, yeah. He goes, okay. So he grabs Peg, which is what always happened. It was always the nice thing about traveling with Peg was that I would just put Peg in front of me and, every, and everybody would fall in love with her. And then we would get whatever we wanted. So anyway, he walks us back out. We sit down. And he comes out and sits with us with the baby who's playing with his kumbaloi, you know, the beads they all carry. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, talks to his sons in Greek. And now I got the whole family is waiting on us. And they move out to have dinner with us. There's Ty coming in. Hey, brother, hey, there you are. You're in the middle of a story, so sit tight. And so, um, so now they're all waiting. I mean, they move dinner out to us, right? And so now there's a bunch of them sitting around the table with us. And he says something to his son. They pour us these, these like... Water glasses full of retsina, right? And then they bring out, and this was this is the sort of the topper that sort of starts to constellate it because we're thinking, oh, this is going to be a fun dinner. They bring out sea urchins, fresh oh. sea urchins, which I had never eaten sea urchin before, not not like out of a live sea urchin. And so um, I, we go, how do you do it? Oh, now this is an opportunity, right, for the family to to bring the tourists in. So they showed us how you know olive oil, you know, they scooped out the gunk. Right, they kept the row inside, and then you eat the row out of the, uh, the out of uh, sea urchin with a little olive oil and a squeeze of lemon and more retsina. And it was like we it took two or three hours to do this, right? So it was about ten thirty. And just to top this, by the way, we were on our way down to the cave of the apocalypse because we'd been invited to the mass by the head of the monastery the night before. And you go so. <laughs> Anyway, we had a little moment where we stopped at the top of a hill on the motor scooter, and it's completely dark. The, the sky overhead was littered with stars. You can see the lights of, on the other islands 100 miles away and the harbor below. And it was just, uh, that was it. Mm. Uh, that's, that Pretty is good, hard. Right? It was like, like that is hard to moment. top. Yeah, it Ty, was a moment, man. Ty, we are talking perfect moments in travel. And I'm going to jump in. I'm going to keep this tight because me, but mine actually, <laughs> com mine actually combines. Go ahead. Start. Mine actually combines Norlands uh. and a perfect travel moment and food. So the mm. second time I was in Norlands, the first time I went down and uh, as I was trying to recollect, I believe it was 88 in 89, I went down to Mardi Gras and we were there. I had been uh, doing sound and was out on tour. And uh, was in, I was in uh, Alabama at the time. And uh, it was about a week before Mardi Gras. We had just wrapped tour, and everybody was figuring out their way back. And uh, me and a, a, a cohort of mine, a couple guys, we were all like, well, tell you what, 
it's close enough time. Let's bug out to New Orleans and we'll do Mardi Gras and we'll bail out on, you know, a couple days afterwards. And that was when I, when I was doing that thing. One of the things I was also doing at that time, though, in order to supplement my meager income from being out on the road is I was a line, I was a line cook. I was a line oh. cook at a truck stop. There you go. And so I had been doing that for a couple of years and had some cooking chops and kind of thought I knew food. And uh, it was, I want to say it was uh, about, yeah, it was like the Friday before, the Friday before Mardi Gras. And I was in some little place. I think if I remember right, it was a, it was a bar off of Jackson Square. It wasn't actually on the square. But it was it was just just around Jackson Square, a little a little ways away from uh, the cathedral. And I was in there and I was having a drink. You know, it was 1030 in the morning and I I needed it back then. Um, (laughs) And I was talking to the bartender and uh, was saying, well, you know, one of the things that I'm known for at my truck stop was my red beans and rice because I had come up with a recipe and people really liked it. And we were just chatting. And all of a sudden I hear this voice from behind me and pretty much what it said was you an awful young white boy to be talking about red beans and rice <laughs> that's true <laughs> and i turn around i'm not kidding i turn around and i i see nobody and then i look down about 10 inches and there is this little black woman looking at me burning burning through my skull with her eyes mm-hmm. <laughs> and she goes you think you know the red beans and rice i'm thinking you're probably mistaken <laughs> and she grabs it she grabs the napkin and she writes down this number she's like you really want to learn the red bean and rice i will show you the red bean and rice you come here tomorrow morning at oh, eight this o'clock is a, this is a sign from god mm-hmm. <laughs> right uh, yeah. and, and 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 then poof she's gone Okay. And I'm not shitting. It was like, poof, she's gone. And I turned back around to the bartender and I was like, what just happened? Who was that? And he's like, oh, son, that was Mama Crystal. Mama Crystal come in here and she do work for us in the, in, in our kitchen. She does a few things very special and we, we pay for her, but she must've heard you from kitchen and come out here and try to set you straight. So you damn well better show up if Mama Crystal invites you to her kitchen. And so I'm, you know, I wander out of this place with a fucking soggy napkin with with, you know, uh, an address written on it in pencil. And I could just barely make it out. But yeah, next day I showed up and bless that woman. She took me to school. Yeah everything from camellia beans and she's like if you're not growing if you don't have somebody growing your beans for you you use these you it's know the only, uh, it's the only option it really is yeah. um or red rose beans are like the sloppy second but they're really you can't even i don't think they ship red you rose beans out of any, new orleans anymore no, no, no. and she taught me how to make red beans and rice and she taught mm-hmm. me how to make it for real it is a long time when i got there she said now you plan to be here for today okay and I was like, uh, well, I got yes, stuff ma'am. to, uh, and then I, I quickly switched tracks and went, say yes, ma'am. yes, yes, Mama Crystal. Yes, ma'am. And, uh, you know, th- she taught me and the one thing, the only real true tip, the only real magic that I will impart to anybody, because I carry that woman's recipe in my head and in my heart. And I will for the rest of my life, because she was an absolutely dear woman. She died about three years afterwards. But the one thing that I will tell all my non-native friends about red beans and rice is there is a magical ingredient. The T word. Tasso. <laughs> you got to have Tasso. If it's not Tasso, it's not real red beans and rice. Mm-hmm. It will be like red beans and rice, mm-hmm. but Tasso, Tasso for everybody out there, Tasso is a cured ham product that is, it's, it's both uh, dry aged, smoked a little bit, Mm-hmm. But it is mostly cured by the spices around it, which is about 90% paprika and 10% love. I always and thought they just fed the pigs the, you, paprika. Yeah, yeah you use the <laughs> ham. Not, it's not big chunks of ham. The ham, the, the design of it is to actually dissolve in mm-hmm. to your red beans and rice. Mm-hmm. And it acts as a thickener, as a seasoner, as a, it's a big punch of umami. And, um, 
we can get Tasso here in Portland. I really lucked out. We have a great. Are you kidding? Oh, Mark, and it is spot on. These that boys here. Uh, big shout out to everybody over at Laurelhurst Market. You guys are awesome. I hope wow. you've done well through the pandemic. But yeah, these guys are great. They do fantastic British traditional uh, white veal bangers, breakfast oh, yeah, bangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just those. They're those nerds. They're those mm. food nerds. But they do a tasso that I would stack up to any tasso in the country. And it wow. is fantastic. But that really, that was my perfect moment. And it was one of the yeah. things, uh, <laughs> going back to the Spalding Gray thing, uh, we've said that it kind of comes as a revelation. The other aspect of it to me that happens is there's a feeling of surreality to those perfect travel moments where you're suddenly standing there going, is this ha- happening? Is mm-hmm. this, this is really the thing that's happening right now. This right, is way it's... too perfect. Because it's so outside of of the ordinary rhythm of your life. Yeah. And the thing I would add that, that's sort of a consistent thread in all of our stories is a perfect moment has this wonderful tendency to expand your horizons. It usually involves getting you out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and, and giving you new experiences. Yeah, I'm being that, scolded by a four-foot-11 black woman. That was uh, way that, outside I'm my totally not kidding. Zone. That's a sign from God, man. That's what that is. That's what that uh, is. Ty, do you got anything <laughs> that you think would equal the uh, just suddenly having that realization this is a perfect moment when you're out traveling? I mean, come on, man. You've been surfing. You, you spent time uh, doing wildland firefighting. you got to have something in your pocket. Uh, so, um, you know, the one, that, the one thing that's sticks me out kind of it sticks out to me uh, uh in listening to andy's story was um i was working for this production company the schultz brothers that's something that ty and i both share is we have a background in being roadies and production guys the schultz brothers uh were responsible in the 80s going into the 90s for a lot of what would become the thrash metal heavy metal Oh, yeah. Uh, Metallica. Exodus, yeah. Exodus. Pantera. Testament, yeah. <laughs> Dear. Uh, so I'm, I'm working at an L.A. Guns show. I, I'm, I'm hanging out in the back, uh, just kind of watching everything, wide-eyed. You know, I'm just a, a kid at that point. And uh, I turn around, and I am face-to-face with Lenny. There you go. Um, Boom. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, I am... Um, at lemmy this guy is like a little over seven he was a little over seven feet i think yeah in his boots yeah he was he's a big dude yeah yeah and uh one of the kindest guys i ever met oh seriously ty we'll have to save most of our lemmy stories for when we can do it together because there are many he was just wow he was a wonderful human being just a teddy bear anyway i'm wearing this dread zeppelin shirt now, for those of you that don't know Dred Zeppelin, <laughs> consider that Elvis Presley and Led Zeppelin have a child somewhere in Jamaica. Yeah. 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 Reggae music. <laughs> well, yeah. more. That's what you have. <clears throat> reggae rock. So uh, Dred Zeppelin, he looks down and he sees the shirt and he goes, that's kind of daft, isn't it? <laughs> ah, they're just they're just a one off. And I started arguing with him about it. Well, I mean, it wasn't wow. having, arguing with Lemmy. Going toe to toe wow. Not- having a passionate discussion with Mr. Kilmeister yeah. about the... That the- is some big brass ones right there. Lemmy, Lemmy's not, Lemmy's not uh, uh, going to get upset over this, but, you know, right. I'm getting a little charged and uh, a little passionate about it. And we have this great argument, and he goes, you know what? Whenever you find it, wherever you find it, it's going to be great for you because you have just unbridled passion for what Dude. <laughs> nice. And uh, uh, he, he, he just, he, and he continued to go on about how he could see that I wouldn't back down when I had, when I had something that I felt worth fighting for, which was really cool. You got a Lemmy pat on the back, son. Man. Yeah. That, yeah. That's huge. Didn't didn't even know the guy. I mean, I knew who he was when I saw. I mean, it was like, holy shit, that's Lemmy, right? And that fanboy thing washed away real quick. Mm. He just said, you know, uh, it, and it just became almost a um, 
like I was talking to a peer or a colleague. Well, and I had well, some, I had something really similar it. happen with Lemmy, um, and and not not so much in that way. But one of the things that you did get when talking to him is he would very quickly start communicating to you as a peer, not because of oh, musicianship, huh. but just the fact that he was one of the most rabid, unbridled fans of music. And when he's talking to you about music, he's not Lemmy from Motorhead. He's Lemmy, the dude that went out and stood in line for three hours before the record store opened up to get that LP. Yeah. And that was wonderful. I tell you what, folks, we're going to take another quick break. We're going to come back and maybe have a little bit more organization and flow. But this is Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark Peterson. That is Ty Robert Anthony joining us. And that is Christopher Vacano. And we will be back in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody. Michael, your stalwart announcer here. The voice of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the shows we put out every month and the bonus goofiness we try and throw in. If you do, we'd really appreciate your support. While we'd love it if you could help us out with a monthly donation by heading over to patreon.com nbbn, please don't forget that you can also support us by telling your friends, relatives, the hot Amazon delivery guy, hell, your potted fern about the show and do the like, click, and subscribe thing. That's free and it helps us out more than you might suspect. We just want to keep putting something good out into this bananas world at this extra bananas time. And we want you along for the ride. No matter what, thanks so much for audio visualizing. Now, let's get back to the show. And we're back on this slightly meandering version of Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark Peterson. That is Ty Robert Anthony. And we're going over to Chris Vacano. It is the time of the year where we all experience that weird slash annoying slash why the fuck are we doing this that we know as daylight, daylight savings, savings time. time. And Chris, you've done a little bit of digging uh and hopefully will bring us a little bit more up to speed on the storied history of daylight savings time what do you have for us today yeah yeah i got uh i got curious about this actually at the spring changeover and i've been sort of reading and learning uh since then first of all uh to uh, uh, I, I mean my goal is to clear up a bunch of misconceptions and really talk about the history and, and kind of where it's at today uh, first of all, it's daylight saving time, which was news to me. There's no S that actually just sort of found its way into the vernacular, but it's actually daylight saving time. Now, my world is coming unglued now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I mean, it's already, I, I mean, we just start by turning everything upside down. So I want to start by kind of going over some of the popular misconceptions, the apocryphal stories, and then I'll kind of move into the actual origins and, and sort of how it all played out. In so, less than 10 minutes. Yes, in less than 10 minutes, you bet. So it's popularly misunderstood that uh, Benjamin Franklin first suggested the idea in like 1795, nearly 100 years before daylight saving time was actually widely practiced. And where this misconception came from is he wrote a letter to the French, and it was satirical. He was being a smartass. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was basically saying, you know, you could save your candles by getting up earlier. Uh, yeah, was, he, he suggested two hours <laughs> to save candles. It's so Ben Franklin, though, isn't it? It's like, you know, if you, yeah. if you got up earlier, you go I'm sorry, Chris. Go Very yeah, Jonathan yeah, no. Swifty of him, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it, was a, it was an <laughs> offhanded joke, and so that sort of got cemented. Somebody dug that letter up and said, oh, look, Ben Franklin invented daylight saving time. Well, no. In a By the way, Chris, I noticed that you did just say daylight saving time, so you are uh, adhering to your own best practices there. I, Thumbs up. I, I've been working on it for <laughs> the last practicing? 48 hours. I'm not going to screw this up. I'm not going to screw you this know, up. It, it did take me about five years to stop saying anyways. Right. Just saying. Go on. Sorry. So the next apocryphal story, and this is the big one, um, most people are under the impression, and it's widely believed, 
that daylight saving time has something to do with agriculture, that it has to do with creating extra hours in the evening to bring in the harvest, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, dead wrong. And in fact, so dead wrong that it actually turns the whole story backward because farmers, by and large, were the biggest resistors to the implementation of daylight yeah. saving time. Because if you think about it, and if you've ever known a farm kid, if you've ever spent any time on a farm, you get up when the sun comes up, you work until the sun goes down. You don't look at the clock. No. Where why farmers resisted daylight saving time is that it totally messed up their ability to get their crops to market and, yeah. and created all sorts of headaches on that front, you know, in terms of the commerce of being able to keep their farms viable. So let's dispense with that. All right. So now we move into the factual histories. Daylight saving time was first actually dabbled with and first implemented in Ontario, Canada in the very early 20th century. In like, I think it was 1905 or 1908. And it started in a town that's now called Thunder Bay. And then it moved to I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember the towns. Uh, well, it's, it, it, it spread through Ontario, right? Yeah, it spread through yeah. Ontario, and and then it kind of and then it kind of stalled. I mean, it just kind of stayed and didn't really go anywhere beyond that. What was their reasoning for wanting to implement it there at that uh, time? Uh, being as far north as they are, it bought them some extra sunlight hours, some extra hours of warmth mm, uh, okay. during the day yeah, in the summer times. So, so, so that was, that was a little flare up and, and, and it's not often talked about, uh, it's not often recognized that the Canadians got there first. So it actually started to move in 1905 when a gentleman in New Zealand, he was a natural sciences guy and he just wanted more hours in the evening so he could go chase bugs. And so he wrote a letter uh, and, and made this proposal for two extra hours. Uh, you know, a two-hour shift, and then a two-hour shift back. And then, you know, he, he kind of pursued this, but, you know, it, it, again, it's sort of left to hang. And, and I mean, who, who's going to change world clocks so that one guy can go chase bugs at night, right? Right. All right. So the idea was picked up by a gentleman named, uh, a builder in England named William Willett, who incidentally is... Chris Martin's great-grandfather, Chris Martin from Coldplay. Okay. Weird little trivial uh, trivial side So road, we can but... blame Chris Martin vicariously. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. All he's, right. He's guilt got the guilt by association. Yes. Okay. And so for so sins much. of the father. <laughs> so, so William Willett took this up as his cause, and he put proposal after proposal after proposal in front of Parliament every year until he died in 1915. And, you know, he was, he was really toting that banner. He didn't see it in his lifetime. But what <laughs> happened is, okay, so we're into 1915. We move into, we move into 1916, World War I. At this point, the Germans are looking around for ways to economize energy, preserve coal, make things yeah. hold out. You knew this had to and, be a German idea eventually. <laughs> Efficiency. Well, and what happened is, is they remembered William Willett and his proposals, and they basically did it by fiat. You know, they just said, we're doing this. Yes, uh, you for World wake War up I. earlier. Yeah, we're, we're going to change the clocks. It reduces the amount of coal usage. It gives us more working hours to keep the factories going, uh, keep us producing, you know, heavy arms. And that, that would have been 1915, 1916, right thereabouts. Two years that's later. Right, that's, right about, that's right about when Willett died. Willett died it, of, of influenza in 1915. Right. So wow. then uh, sort of the rest of the Euro European countries followed suit because they're like, hey, wait a minute, the Germans have figured out a way to economize. We've got to economize, too. Otherwise, <laughs> right. they're just going to beat us because they're going to outproduce us. So it's uh, keeping up with the it's keeping up with the Johans at that point. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, Parliament passed it in 1918. And that's when it took hold and spread. Hey, and does, does do they um, does Europe still support daylight saving time? Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, 
daylight saving time spread globally and Europe for the most part does still practice daylight saving time from from what I know and yeah but it's only research. to keep it's only to keep sync with uh, places like New York and the financial institutions around the world it's, who it's also more of an do. economic and yeah. and diplomatic thing so uh, so yes Europe does still practice it but what's interesting is that when you look at a map it was practiced almost mostly worldwide uh, at least in the northern hemisphere just really widespread it's been scaled way back and only 70 countries now still observe daylight savings time you know why there it is i got myself daylight saving time Uh, Um, you know why uh a lot of them have have backed off of it because it didn't make sense (laughs) well yeah well that and so many places so many people go this is dumb this is counter to the productivity of my life. Why are we doing this? Well, and what's interesting is it doesn't confer any advantage near the equator because no. right. daylight Be- because hours are about the same throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, this is just rampant hemispherism, baby. And there you do- go. And is that it a word? <laughs> it is now. It is now. Ah, it sounded really good, though. And it doesn't yeah. confer any advantage near the poles because... Oh, it's the, still, yeah. the shift is so radical. It's yeah. it's in in that kind of middle space in between where you it fucks with everybody. You may get well, some. But it's interesting because, but exactly that's where I was going to go. Is this is mostly about industrialization mm-hmm. at this and point? Industrialization is concentrated more in the northern hemisphere mm-hmm. than anywhere else on Earth. Ooh. So it is hemispherism. Although, and we're taking credit. We're giving Dr. Peterson and taking credit for that new word. Look for it in the OED soon. <laughs> I'm going to look. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep talking. Or, or at least on Urban Dictionary. Right. Uh, hey, there. Chris. <laughs> yeah. Chris, you were saying that it, it played a little bit uh, oh. into World War One. How about World War Two? <laughs> well, this is, yeah, this is what's interesting is, is Germany rolled it back after World War One and they stopped doing it. And then World War Two, stupid. World War Two came along and they put it back into place right away. And that pretty much cemented it. And, right. and so it did get fired back up during World War II. I thought they called and, it wartime, didn't it? Wasn't that the phrase during the... Yeah, uh, they did. Well, they, they, did they, at, least did it, they at least did it in, in England. England. Yeah. They, they referred to it as wartime. Yeah. yeah. So you look at it today, and you, know, you guys were just talking about industrialization, and the biggest industrial power on the planet, I think, is not debatable. It's China. Now. Uh, now, yeah, they used to observe daylight savings time. They do not now. They don't even have time uh, zones, by the way, in China. If I remember this. right, it's like Beijing time for the whole country, and it's like, you know, it's a really big country. <laughs> yeah, well, what is it? Right. Uh, five time zones by probably classic yeah, measure, something like I that. Think, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, the yeah the most time zones is uh, former Soviet yeah, the Union. Soviets got like twelve the or something. Yeah, they literally have half the time zones on Earth encompassed in one geographical I, region. We said Soviets there, by the way. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? <laughs> that's, I did say Soviets yeah. because yeah. Yeah, that's what was considered the Soviet Union. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to say even you know, Mother a Russia, bunch of different probably, countries. Well, Mother yeah, Russia. And, there you go. And, and and the Russians don't do saving time either. So that opens the door. Well, well, maybe <laughs> it did. <laughs> right. Um, Temporal hegemony. Yeah, because you flash forward to today. And yeah. You socialist. And, and you, start, you start poking at daylight saving time and you start posing some serious questions. Is it still economically advantageous, you know, in terms of right. energy savings? Uh, mm-hmm. Given no. the high level of energy consumption that we devote to screens and huh. artificial light. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It is the benefits are are no longer there. I mean, they're negligible. Yeah. Uh, so that argument kind of flies out of the door, and and as we move away from coal, it, you know, it becomes less mm. and less relevant. Mm. Um, yeah. So so that's that's one key point. Another question to sort of probe at it that that I got very interested in are is are there health side effects? Oh. Um. And and in fact, oh, yeah. there have been oh, a yeah, number of imp- studies that there are. Yeah, uh, the impact on circadian rhythm. Uh, yeah, uh, the circadian uh-huh. rhythm is disrupted. Now, they're not long-term health effects. They're usually about uh, felt for about 10 weeks after each transition. But, uh, and, and, and they're much worse in the spring transition because that's when you lose an hour. Uh-huh. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is the incident of heart attack 
increases by like 13% in the weeks after the stressed. spring change. Now, oh, what, yeah. now, now, the other side of that, the corollary to that is that after the autumn change, the incident of heart attack drops. Everybody um, just goes. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's also a public safety issue, though, and that one's a bit more complicated because yeah, right people at, people having to navigate in the dark. Well, there's that, and there's also after the spring shift, since people are tired, accidents, uh, particularly no, pedestrian no. accidents, oh, sure, are higher. Workplace. You're just literally you're literally talking about the impact on people's cognition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and productivity drops off for several weeks after the spring. I was just going to say it has to at least be a number of weeks if so, not a month. So so you know there's a there's a tug and pull, but in my mind given given everything I've read, um I'm I'm kind of getting behind the the push to abolish because oh, I yeah. don't see any value to it at this point. I mean, I certainly understand, you know, when when you live in a place like Minnesota or Wisconsin, you know, kids walking to school in uh, in the dark. Oh yeah, yeah, that's kind of an issue. Yeah, it it was a consideration, but honestly, I'm uh, I, I'm turning into one of those fifty something year old Gen X people saying oh, I survived. Mm. I know? still remember, Chris. Did you look at this at all? I have this vague memory of and so this. You reminded me about walking to school in the dark. I think uh, during the oil crisis, when Jimmy Carter got to be president, I think one yeah. of the things was that they. Re-imp- they got rid of daylight savings time, mm-hmm. or did they keep it all year? It was one of those. You know, I think it was they kept it. That's it, yeah. If I remember right, and Chris, you might be able to back me or not. The oil embargo and the oil crisis of the seventies was when we finally had it written into stone that America observes daylight savings time, uh-huh. and at the same time, that's when certain parts of the United States started making noise. The most famous uh, of which is. Arizona does not oh, that's observe right. That's right. daylight sure. savings time. However, the Navajo Nation in Arizona <laughs> does. It gets but even it gets even them, crazier than yeah, that. Because, because Ho- the- Hawaii, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, Northern Mariana Islands, Guam, and American Samoa don't observe daylight savings time either. Let's, let's talk about our friends in Arizona for a moment, because this is actually a really, really interesting... <laughs> our unique friends in Arizona. <laughs> yes. Uh, Arizona, I mean, the rationale for not observing daylight saving time is self-evident if you've ever lived in Arizona, which is in the summer months, oh. you do not want an extra hour of daylight in it, the evening. Right? You want to yeah, get an extra you hour want the of sun to go down as soon yeah. as possible so that the temperature drops and you can enjoy the cool hours of, of, of the mm-hmm. evening. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so, I mean, they've got a very real reason for not observing. Saving. Yeah, they look at it as daylight baking time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so right. as you pointed out, Andy, You've got you've got Arizona. Then you've got this huge chunk of Arizona in the north, which is the Navajo Reservation. They mm-hmm. do observe daylight saving time, but the Hopi Nation does not, and they are a little basically <laughs> island in the middle of the Navajo Nation. And not only that, true, but yeah. inside of the Hopi Nation, there's a little tiny sliver of Navajo. So you have. No, yes, concentric no, yes. circles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's basically if you're traveling in that area, uh, forget looking at your phone. You, you ask what somebody a, yeah. what time it is. Mind <laughs> phone. Yeah, yeah and then they'll just phone. say, "Oh, it's Navajo time." Yeah, it's Navajo yeah. time. Exactly. So, where does that leave us now, Chris? Are there any movements? Uh, are there any legitimate, real, significant movements to abolish daylight saving time? Right now, it's still kind of in the realm of of sort of social debate. There, I, I, I mean, I, in the United States, there are maybe token efforts. There's been legislation put forth, and it usually gets tabled or dies in committee. And yeah, you know, nobody we got better things to be doing with our legislative time. N- nobody's paying much attention to it, yeah. and and. Well, see, that's just it. Now, if the Democrats could end daylight savings time, we get Arizona back. <laughs> we can Arizona back. Yeah. yeah. Go. Um, well, worldwide, countries are steadily abandoning it. Yeah, you know and- why? <laughs> because say it, it's say it, say it, say it, Rob. Say it, uh-huh, Rob. Uh-huh. Because it's stupid. Yeah. Well, I, I think what we're going to go out on here is this, and that is, um, you know, Chris, you were talking about uh, uh, how it affects uh, uh, different parts of the globe differently. Have we heard from the flat earthers 
about daylight Ooh. savings time because that, that the whole polls oh. thing. And well, I tell you what, folks, we've just taken a fantastic tour around our globe and the clock. And um, yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, again, you know, we're going to look at this uh, slightly differently uh, when you finally figure out that really uh, the the person to blame for this is a guy who wanted extra hours in the day to find bugs. How stupid. <laughs> stupid science. We are Keep Your Hat On. We are me. We are Dr. Mark. We are Ty. And we are Chris. And we will be back to wrap this madness up in just a second. Don't go anywhere. Hi, everybody. This is Andrew Scott, the host and producer of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. Look, this pandemic has been really hard on all of us. There's no question. Things were so bad for so long. Everybody locked away, praying to stay healthy, hoping for a solution. And for a while, things started legitimately getting better. But now, just when we were thinking we could get back to some kind of normal, we have the Delta variant, which is much more transmissible like 60% more, and it makes more people sicker, including young people. We may be through with coronavirus, but coronavirus is sure the hell not through with us. Feeling helpless feels awful, but we are not helpless. Both of the MNRA vaccines are highly effective against both the Gamma and Delta variant, especially when it comes to keeping people out of the hospital. Statistically speaking, if you get either MNRA shot, your chances of getting coronavirus are very, very low. And if by some unfortunate quirk you do, your chances of passing it on are significantly lower your chances of having to be hospitalized are even lower, and your chances of dying are nearly zero. Yes, both Pfizer and Moderna are working on variant-specific boosters right now. But honestly, any shot of any kind is better than remaining unprotected. Truth is, the more unvaccinated people we have, the more mutations and variants we'll see. And there's a chance they'll be even worse than what we're dealing with now. You're sick of this, we're sick of this. So do what it takes to help fight it. Do everyone a favor. Keep wearing your mask in public, stay vigilant, and get your damn shot, any shot. That's how we fight this fucking virus. For all of us. In the US, go to vaccines.gov or contact your local health authority worldwide to find out where to get yours today. This has been a public service message from the KYHO team. We're back for the final segment of Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark Peterson. That is Christopher Vacano. That is Ty Robert Anthony. And that is pretty much what we've got in store for you uh, with this show. Uh, and isn't that enough? Anybody got anything else to say? <laughs> oh, I'm just... <clears throat> Nanorhino.org. Oh, the, right, Mark, quick, uh, take take a minute. Yeah. Just wanted, I just want to point out, if you guys haven't done this, uh, and you'll be a week late because you won't see this on for another week, but... True. Um, NaNoWriMo, N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O, National Novel, Write a Novel Month, National Novel Writing Month. Uh, Andy will put the website up here. And go have a look. And a bunch of us, I've done this a bunch of times over the years, and the trick is to write a rough draft of whatever's been in your head in a month. And the beauty is that you can't, you can't edit something until you've written it. That's all I'm going to say. Have you, uh, have you decided to throw down this month? I am. Mark? I'm going to actually finish the stupid Aristotle book. And um, on environment, I'm, using Aristotle. Yeah, yeah. So wait, it's, I it's might, the month I got of November? Bit, 
It's the yeah, whole it's month all of November. November. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, the goal really, as Mark said, is to not sit there and line edit. Wow, oh. Fred. Fred's got some opinions oh, Fred is today. Fred's all over NaNoWriMo, buddy. I'm gonna oh, there you me. go. But yeah, it's to not. It's just puke it out. Yeah, pu- that's get it exactly out of your right. system. Get get just write you know? that shit down. And, and then- uh, I uh, I've I, I just finished. Chris and I are working. I just finished writing a book here that uh, has taken me the last year. Uh, but it is a how-to guide mm-hmm. that I will fill you guys in on later. Uh, some very exciting things about that. Chris is giving me the benefit of his layout experience and helping me turn it into something that looks good on your phone or on your tablet. <laughs> But uh, I'm I might take a stab this month uh, because I have a little bit of elbow room and I've got a number. Uh, my thing is I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to resurrect something yeah. or if I'm going to start fresh with yeah. something else. I think the latter is probably where I'm going to go. But gosh, people, here it is, the end of the show. We're trying to behave better and get things uh, more concise. Trying. And let's see. Yeah. We're trying is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah we're trying. But, uh, you know, hey. Do us a favor, like, click, subscribe, as always. Please also do us a favor. Go look at our uh, website and our merch shop. That's kyhopodcast.com slash shop. Buy yourself something groovy. Help the show out. We'd really appreciate it. But more than anything, we just appreciate you guys coming and taking time and hanging out with us. Crazies. We are all bozos on this bus. And uh, the bus is pulling into the station right now. We're about ready to go about the rest of our day. But... You're going to see this after Halloween. Consider yourself spooked by us. But that's what we got. We're the dudes from Keep Your Hat On. That's Mark. That's Chris. That's Ty. I'm Andy. Thanks so much for joining us. Get your shot. Get your booster. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Take care of your fellow man. That's very spooky. And we will see you again next time on Keep Your Hat On. Because remember, we may end up miles from here. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much. Be good to each other, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrow-band broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott. Available at AndrewScottMedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com and don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. And this concludes our recording in... Well, you know, it turned out fun. I really struggled with the French, though. NBBN. The Narrowband Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.